Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week we bring you in-depth conversations with today's leading filmmakers. This week we're sharing a conversation with the filmmakers behind the Sundance hit Swiss Army Man, which comes out this weekend. It's the feature debut from directing team Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, a.k.a. The Daniels, who have been collaborating for years on award-winning music videos and shorts. Paul Dano stars as a man stranded on a deserted island who finds a body on the shore, played by Daniel Radcliffe. The body is lifeless but flatulent, and Dano miraculously uses his gassy corpse to sail across the ocean to the shore, at which point he becomes lost in the wilderness, dragging Radcliffe's lifeless form along for the adventure. Known at Sundance as the one where Daniel Radcliffe plays a farting corpse, the wildly inventive and surprisingly touching film earned the Daniels the festival's directing prize. They joined us this week for one of our free talks, which are sponsored by HBO. They discussed their collaborative process, the origins of the unique project, and what's next for them. The evening was moderated by IndieWire's Eric Cohn. Let's go now to their conversation. Hi there, this is Allison Goldberg from the Film Society's fundraising team. The Walter Reed Theater is turning 25 this year. Built in 1991 as a year-round home for film at Lincoln Center, the Walter Reed recently won the Village Voice Award for Best Movie Theater in New York. Manola Dargis of the New York Times agrees, calling it one of the finest movie-watching rooms in the city. In honor of the theater's birthday, we're planning some long-overdue renovations that will make this great theater even better, including a new screen, 4K and 16mm projectors, updated lighting and sound systems, and much more. But to make this all possible, we need your help. Naming a seat in the Walter Reed will help us accomplish these goals and lets you or a loved one become a permanent part of the theater's rich history. For more information about seat naming opportunities and the renovation project, visit filmlink.org slash WRT25. The trailer does a pretty good job of synopsizing that most people have never seen a movie like this, and if they have, please come up and tell us afterwards. I'd love to see Um, it, yeah. But just sitting down with potential financiers or whomever and sort of explaining what this movie is, what is your log line? I think the the most digestible one that we've come up with, like besides you know the 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 uh, the Daniel Radcliffe firing boner corpse movie that everyone has been kind of passing around on, on the internet, uh, is essentially like a a suicidal man has to convince a dead body that life is worth living, and they go on an adventure together using that dead body's magical powers to survive and uh, learn about life on the way. And uh, Please give us your money. Yeah. That, <laughs> was, <laughs> that was our speech. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, but, I mean, one of the things that we have kind of in our back pocket the whole time while we're pitching these insane ideas is uh, sort of the the backlog of music videos and short films that we've been doing, which are arguably more insane than this movie is. And uh, you can kind of show that and be like, look, this kind of worked. Maybe it'll work in a longer form, and uh, just come along on this adventure with us, and we'll find out. You know, and and I think I think uh, some people got scared by that, and some people um, were excited, and then those were the people that kind of just uh, became our partners. I guess it's kind of it was a lot easier than it should have been. Honestly, this is <laughs> this movie is kind of insane, and like people were uh, were okay with that. I think, and and that was that was a pretty fun surprise. Well, and we'll take a look at some of those music videos later on tonight just to give people a sense of sort of the connectivity because when you see it in context, there really is a lot that you were building on. But 
a lot of people do get by pretty well making music videos and you guys had amassed a pretty solid filmography in that space so you know that leads to a natural question which is you know uh, making a full-on production that runs 90 minutes two hours whatever it is with a lot more money it's 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 much harder and you guys are doing pretty well doing what you were doing so so why make that jump now i i think we uh we always wanted to make narrative stuff and and uh we we've always just kind of like followed the path of least resistance. We're like, who will pay us to make a thing? We'll make that. Uh, um, it, always kind of trying to lead towards like, can we, can we make a movie? Cause I think like most people, we were like super inspired by awesome feature films as kids. And we're like, I want to make one of those one day. That seems cool. Um, so it, it just kind of, uh, it took as long as it needed to take, I guess we, we were trying for years and years, but, I think we didn't want to rush it and we were like at some point someone's going to pay us to make one of these scripts we write <laughs> uh, how many <laughs> of you guys have actually it? seen yeah. some of our music videos and short films just in case we're just talking in the void about oh. like okay so a couple we'll of you show guys a few do. later okay cool awesome <laughs> <laughs> just in case you guys need context uh, our music video stuff is just as weird as our movie so and, and you, you always talk in the plural so when did this mind meld first take place film school days i would assume um yeah, we, uh, the mind meld took place probably like we, we were friends right as I graduated film school. We became kind of closer after that. And then um, like a year later, like the first year that we were working together, we, I think neither of us expected it to like last that long. It was like, oh, cool, we'll make some music videos together and we'll make up a name and we'll be Daniels and we'll make some shit. Uh, and uh, that year, we both had long-distance girlfriends and nothing else to do. Uh, so we just like worked all day, every day, on like pitching things and making things. And like, I feel like there was like a year where we wrote like a hundred treatments for various things. Ninety percent of which got rejected. Everything got, got rejected. Yeah. <laughs> but we found that we like had we agreed on on more than we disagreed on, and we had like a very similar sensibility and like kind of like came up with just tons of ideas that we loved and. Uh, even though they got rejected, a lot of them that we liked the most, we, we made them eventually. It just took a few more years, and then finally we tricked a band, and they would pay for one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if I had to say it was like 2010, 11, 11. 2011, there was a mind meld that went down. It was crazy. <laughs> when you talk about your sensibilities, and it is clear throughout the music videos what, what that is, but it, as you started making these videos, what, what was apparent to you about what you were trying to do i think we, we were talking about this earlier today and like um one of the things that happened was like those rejections like when we would get rejected by bands we like honest honestly like we, we would get pissed off about the same things as well as getting excited about the same things and we'd be like why do bands want to look sexy like why do they just want to like look cool and have like stuff around them like why why don't they care about any content? Yeah, or most whatever? most of the briefs from bands were like, we don't want to act, but we also don't want to do like a standard music video. Um, can we just stand there and look cool while you do visual effects around us? And yeah. it's like, like or oh, like that was like such a boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And, and like after a while, we we started to like 
pitch ideas almost um, out of spite or to make fun of them. They're like, <laughs> okay, so you're really sexy and you're like, you're dripping because it's like sexy and it's slow motion, but then uh, you start sweating so much and all your fat starts to melt away and then, and then you just have like excess skin and then the excess <laughs> skin starts to like swing around and it's really sexy and yeah. it's like... <laughs> and then you like fold the skin into a skin tuxedo. And then you and look really cool. <laughs> that was an actual pitch we sent to a band. <laughs> Yeah. They should have done it. Yeah, I, it would have been great. Yeah, yeah. it would have been really Klaxons. sexy. Yeah, they Klaxons. said no. Um, but I, I think I think the the constant rejection just kind of really started uh, making us get excited about the same. Some of thing. our more absurd ideas. Yeah. We were like, oh, let's 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 find like, yeah, let's make the weird ones because there's plenty of people out there making like the cool sexy the cool ones. stuff. Yeah. But like these weird ideas, like once we got to make a couple of them we were like this is fun like let's make the weird ones like these these seem to like, there seem to be people out there who want to see it and not that many people making it um yeah so it kind of developed like almost in reaction to our careers <laughs> so when did you start noticing that you were on to something i mean you guys really did develop a kind of following specific to your work I don't know. It was very gradual. Like, like in some ways, the reason we started working together was because the first short film we did together, that was a like a VFX camera test. Camera test. I was just teaching him After Effects, and I just he had got, bought a 5D. Yeah, yeah that, this was like right the year the 5D Mark II came out. And I'm like, this is gonna change movies. Let's get one. Um, Not let's. You just bought yeah. one. Oh, and yeah, I was exactly. like, what <laughs> is that? What do you have? I don't understand. <laughs> Um, and, and we were, it was like three in the morning and it was after work and we were just like screwing around with the camera and then, um, we went home and I taught him some After Effects and then like three weeks later we just put it online for fun. It was just like a stupid thing and, uh, Vimeo actually staff picked it and put it on the front page and we're like, what? And we were like, no, you see that <laughs> and a little embarrassed, <laughs> yeah. uh, and people seemed to like it. And so, uh, like, I guess that's when we realized we were like, oh, we, we always wanted to be Vimeo staff picked. Let's make another one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that only took like an hour of work. If we put two hours of work in, we get so many, so many views. Yeah. And so it was kind of just that we just put stuff on the Internet. Someone out there would say, I like that. Let's do another one. Eventually, someone asked to pay us for it. It's like, I'll give you money if you do another one. And they're um, like, we're sorry. We only have ten thousand dollars. We were like, ten dollars <laughs> this is insane <laughs> we could blow up and we could like buy a cheap car and wreck yeah, it yeah so <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. make a film about it, it, it yeah, yeah exactly and, and we uh the we ten thousand dollar one which one that was that one we had like a girl like flying around barfing fireworks we were yeah. like oh I'll just buy a bunch of fireworks and go around brooklyn yeah i, I quit my job pads. that for that one because i was like ten thousand dollars let's go and i just quit my job flew to new york and we <laughs> shot it and then i was broke we were like, for the let's next six months yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so at, at, by the time you've amassed all these music videos you it sounds like you had a lot of screenplays that you guys had kind of toyed around with at, that, at this point yeah if you if you loosely define toy around like pff, like tons <laughs> but uh we wrote one other one yeah <laughs> like actually finished it um and then like like yeah played with the ideas of others and like most of our most of our feature film ideas, show ideas exist solely so that we can pitch crazy ideas when we go to studios and have to hang out with like producers who are like what do you think about doing the next gi joe or something and we're like what do you think about this movie <laughs> and, then we just, we'll and then we pitched swiss army man was one of the ones that we kept pitching as a as a joke but also because we deeply wanted to like deep down we really wanted to make it and uh eventually one producer said why don't you just go make it like we actually pitched it and he was like that sounds great you should write it and we we're like oh no <laughs> now we have to write it <laughs> 
It's not going to be a Vimeo staff pick, and you can no, just go yeah, home happy. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to take yeah, a few. Didn't. Take a few years of your life, and you're going to be uh, stressed, and you're going to. We'll have to go hair. publicize it at the Lincoln Center. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. But but one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this movie is, in spite of the the wacky premise, you do kind of play it straight in certain kind in certain ways. And so I wonder, as as you were writing it, coming up, with, you know, deciding on a tone is mm-hmm. something that people don't talk about enough. But it's it's something that seems pretty crucial with a movie like this, where it's you know it's not a straight comedy, even though it, you know it may sound like that at first, so to speak. Yeah, I th- I, it's. There's a couple projects we had done with sort of this tone and like almost by accident we had made like like absurd movies with excuse me special effects that ended up being sort of sincere like there was one we made called puppets where uh two like lovers uh are trying to like kiss on a street and then we pop out of their bodies and we're like this movie's cliche and then we get in a fight and then at the end they still kiss and it's sincere that's the plot of puppets uh <laughs> and uh and we finished that one and we're like, oh, that, that was fun. The fact that it ended sincere, like that the end wasn't a joke. Like, and, and we started getting really excited about Well, the end was sincere, but I had my hand up a version of your butt because I was puppeting you right. who had a hand up someone else's butt who was then saying doing I the love you to mm-hmm. another three, you know, human centipede of puppeteering. Right, so it was three people, people puppeting kiss. each other, but kissing each other, but it's done really sincerely and it's actually kind of sweet. Um, yeah. And you're all welcome to Google it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it goes on the DVD extra yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So long story short, th- th- we we kind of knew the tone. You know, like um, as soon as we started writing it, we're like the joke. We we never thought let's make a movie that starts with a fart and the whole movie is fart jokes. Like that, there was never a draft that was that. It was always like, no, it's going to end with a fart that's going to make people cry. Like this is going to get sincere. Like we're we're going to play it straight. Like the content is funny and the execution will be glorious. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other, I mean, the other thing I find really appealing about the movie is that there, there are things that you do visually that even though they are inherently absurd, we've, you, you've just never seen things happen in this particular kind of way before. And so, so there's something in, that happens almost psychologically where you're like, that's actually not a joke. It's just an absurd event. And you were building off of your music videos very uh, consciously in that sense. So. Uh, one of the ones that we were going to look at tonight is uh, Turn Down for What, which mm-hmm. has some really specific reference points in the new movie. So do you want to maybe like set that up briefly and before we, we play it? Yeah, I think, I think one of the funny anecdotes about Turn Down for What is uh, we had finished draft two of Swiss Army Man and we were like exhausted emotionally from like academically trying to wrap our heads around a feature film. Um, and that's when, we, and we were getting ready to go to the screenwriters' labs. So we were like, "Oh shit, we're about to get like intellectual, like, intellectual philosophical shit," you know. So and, we uh, decided, to, yeah, we decided to make a music video that was like the opposite of that. Just let the id take over and just see what happens. The song <laughs> kind of inspired us. We're yeah, like, wow, this is real stupid. Let's <laughs> let's just let's just let's just pitch all the stupid ideas. Yeah, because um, we we were already like we had one foot uh, in the door towards feature films, and we're like, this might be the last music video we ever do. So. <laughs> it's okay. Let's it's just, just use all our old ideas yeah, that exactly. every band said no to <laughs> and see if whoever DJ Snake is says yes. <laughs> all in three minutes, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then we, 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 we sincerely didn't expect it to be like a, a, a success or a calling card or to help us get the movie made, but, th- but that kind of happened. So having set all that up, why don't we take a look at Turn Down for One? 
But I mean, uh, there, there's so many amazing things you're doing with motion in this. And my understanding is that one of them inspired what I guess you refer to as the boner compass in Swiss Army Man. So, I mean, actually, like like we said, we were working on the script while we we're doing this. So this was almost like a test shoot. We're like, oh, I wonder what that would look like if we had like a, a fake penis that could move on its own because we were writing it already in the scripts. And so this kind yeah. of just so Swiss Army Man actually inspired Turn Down for What? Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't realize Turn Down for What would would you know get as big as it did so we're like oh whatever it's fine no one will notice it and we'll use it in our movie still but uh, but we did really up our boner game on swiss army man yeah. like uh this was we, just a broomstick yeah that's time. just me <laughs> with a broomstick like and there's a hole in the back of his sweatpants and i'm just like there's no visual effects uh, <laughs> and uh in swiss army man as we already spoiled there there's a boner compass and uh, we had like an animatronic one built so like we could like practically control it and it could point left right and you know it's way more uh, That's where uh, all the emotional, went. like yeah. way more <laughs> I was gonna say, expressive. So where is that thing now? <laughs> yeah. I want to know. Oh, yeah, man, I think the guy who built definitely... it, we let him keep it because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were grateful. Yeah. The, the other thing that, that's really great about your work is that you're finding ways of associating music with images in, in some really surprising and different kinds of patterns. And you see that in Swiss Army Man, too. Um, I don't think it's really clear. I mean, you could tell to some degree from the trailer, but the, the musical element of the movie comes in pretty early in a very surprising kind of way. So how did you get to that point where you decided that this was essentially going to be a musical, if not the most orthodox form of one? Yeah, totally. I mean, we just liked the idea that the genre was going to be a survival rom-com buddy comedy uh, road trip musical. Like, that's like having adding the musical at the end was kind of like the best way to 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 uh describe it so we decided to go all out because we, we <laughs> knew we knew in the end we wanted all of the the score to be sung by the main character basically like it's almost like when you're stuck by yourself isolated on an island you would just sing to yourself a lot and so the whole in thing a lot of ways like i think what one of the reasons we made the movie was like a lot of our short form work like gets very meta and there's like there's they talk about filmmaking or whatever and uh, we got really excited about like if if we were stranded in the woods like we'd start talking to ourselves like on day one and like start making little figurines and sets and dressing up and shit you know like that would not take me very long um and so the, the movie kind of became like an exciting opportunity to like explore like breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall, you know, like this character would be like kind of narrating yeah. his life. He, the he, isolated creative mind, what would happen? Yeah. yeah. So like that, that was very early on there. And then very quickly thereafter, like the idea of him singing it just made sense. It was like, Oh, the score shouldn't be like violins. It should be Hank, you know, like he should score it. So it's so. a good thing you got an actor who can actually sing. I mean, Paul Dano has got a pretty good track record in that Yeah, that, I mean, that was one of our, our hardest things about casting was finding two actors that we felt would be down for something insane like this who are amazing actors but also could sing. It was kind of like once you once you added the but they can also sing thing and cut like our, our list and by like three quarters, everyone got everyone left. Um, and we had never actually we had never we hadn't seen Love and Mercy when we were casting him, but we just heard from people like, oh, he's great in it. So. Uh, we reached out to him because we were of like that. good enough for us yeah. hire him <laughs> yeah <laughs> luckily he is great in love and mercy <laughs> yeah right and it does seem like a natural fit i mean it's not surprising to see somebody like paul dano trying out a project like this daniel radcliffe on the other hand obviously is that's it's it's a shock for people to see him do something like uh, on this level which defies categorization i mean he's a dead guy farting with a boner compass 
you know, not the most obvious post Harry Potter career choice. So walk us through that casting process. Yeah. I mean, we were, um, fans. Dan's a huge fan of the books. Um, but, uh, I think we, we really respected the risks he'd already been taking as an actor. And so like the, the, we were like, I think he might be down. And then, um, he could sing. He was, he was in, uh, how to succeed in business on Broadway. And like, um, so, so he checked that box. Um, and then we, we don't like having assholes on set. And, uh, we wanted like our two lead actors to be cool. and like fun to hang out with and like we heard nothing but sweet things and like we like asked folks and like Paul was like oh I'd love to work with Dan Radcliffe and we were like great okay let's let's reach out to him um and then the actual casting was so wonderfully easy we we sent him the script um and then we just skyped and, and first we like, heard his dad liked it because yeah. uh, his dad reads all his scripts as well and he's still like really close with his family and uh then we heard Daniel liked it and then we skyped with him and he asked, uh, can I do my own stunts? And we were like, that's the best question. You're hired, and yes, as, but only some of them, actually. <laughs> some of them might be impossible if he didn't actually want to become a dead guy. Right, yeah, exactly. it's a pretty big liability when you have your actor do the stunts. So, like, we let him do a lot, but he didn't light on fire. Or, you know, every once in a while we had to use a dummy. But circling back to the music for a second, the other key collaborator in that respect is Manchester Orchestra, um, and we're going to look at a video that you did for them in a sec here, but what's the sort of nature of your history with them and sort of bringing them on board for this project? I started listening to them in high school, like end of high school, early college, just like I just was a fan, like their music. Um, it was it was fun. But then uh, the lead singer has a bunch of side projects and one of them I just like fell in love with. It's just him singing by himself. And so uh, when we right away, great, captain. right away, great captain. It's so like, a, yeah, it's really it's really just beautiful. Um, it's a, like a concept album about a sailor who's uh, escaping his uh, like a. A bad relationship during like the 1400s or something. It's it, it's it's real it's real emo, but it's uh, it's really beautiful. And so like we were, we had just done two music videos maybe, and like kind of about to like quit because like the second music video didn't turn out so well. We tried to do a commercial and it was like a nightmare. Just didn't did not click with us. And we're like, oh, what are we gonna do? No one wants any of our ideas. This is terrible. Um, but then this one commissioner who believed in us was like, I want you guys to work with uh, with me one time this year, just once, that's all I want. Um, and so he put us up again for this Manchester Orchestra song, which was pretty big for us at the time because we were doing mostly small things. Um, and we pitched on it and the band was like, oh, sounds interesting, but I don't really know. So yeah, we, at first we, they had a bunch of notes and they yeah. were like, we don't, we're not sure we like it. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, okay, oh, one of those bands. And, uh, and then they set up a meeting where we got to meet Andy Hull, who's the lead singer and composer. And uh, we kind of pitched it in person and we, we pitched him the original idea. We had already like gone through a few drafts and he, and once we pitched it in person, he got like so excited and he was like, that sounds great. We're doing it. Can I say that? I don't care. We're doing it. And like, <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, he's like a very no nonsense, passionate, creative guy. And like, like the, the, uh, the collaborative experience from then on out was just like so supportive and they're like um there are a bunch of guys who still live like right down the street from each other in like suburban atlanta and uh 
they have like seem to have a very positive healthy working relationship so like they just seem like healthy artists and we always kind of like looked up to that and yeah. and uh felt like we could trust them you know like with a with the job of scoring it you know um which at no fault of musicians like they have their own thing going on usually and it's kind of scary to ask a, a band to compose a movie but these guys were like they have their own recording studio that they built in rural Atlanta down the street they can just record stuff whenever they want you know they were they're pretty great but I mean this is another case where when you see the music video and then you see the movie you can really see a direct relationship so I think we should just play it it's five five minutes long uh, simple math and um, we could talk a little bit about the connections there. It's a very neat equation if you add the two music videos together that we saw tonight. You do get a real sense for what the tone of Swiss Army Man is. But uh, I, I think also just um, from the musical standpoint, when people sing in, the, in Swiss Army Man, it, it really does seem like they're singing the things that we're hearing. And I feel like you get a little bit of that here. So. How did that? How did this experience sort of inform the way that you guys work together on on what ended up being the score for the film? Yeah, I think. Um, it, yeah, it was definitely like um, it's in a lot of ways. It's been a crutch of ours, like making music videos. That like anytime we're not sure what to do, we can just listen to the song a bunch, and like eventually, like some imagery will kind of like make sense, and we'll start connecting dots. And so we kind of like um, one answer to your question is that like we 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 created the score we did in the way we did because it would afford us a, f a little bit of that familiar uh, like feeling. Like we had Andy and Robert make um, probably like five or six songs before we started shooting so that like these certain scenes in the movie, we would know what they were gonna feel like. We could play it for the whole crew and the cast and we could like have that kind of uh, shorthand in the edit and be like, no, it's gonna, it's gonna feel like this. Like it was also a big part of like when we were pitching, again, going back to the financing question, uh, people would read the text and be like, this is insane. And then we'd put on the music and they go, this is insane. <laughs> okay, you know, yeah, and like, and it's then, gonna be pretty. And I, I think that for us, like that's kind of how, how we know we're on the same page is if we can hear a song and say the image and know, okay, we at least we both know what tone we're going for. And that's like when you're saying like, deciding on the tone is really hard. Um, we did a lot of that work beforehand with the music and trying to find a way to, to incorporate uh, something beautiful into the mix before we even started shooting. But then as, you, as you're asking that question, I also started realizing like, uh, you're right, like on, the, on a brass tacks level, every once in a while in the movie, our characters will sing, but like rarely. And it's, it's similar to this music video where like, it's a music video for a band, but like they only sort of lip sync once every 30 seconds, you know? And, and I think we found that, that just that little touchstone is, is pretty fun in music videos. And, and, and in the movie, it was a f similar kind of uh, thing, but the opposite where like, instead of being able to take our short film and be like, oh yeah, remember this is a music video. We were able to say like, um, I don't know, we were able to take a feature film and then kind of remind the audience every once in a while, like, hey, you have an unreliable narrator. Hey, this guy is making that. Look, he's singing the words. Anyway, back to the movie. It's kind of a fun way to break the fourth wall. What were some of the other practical challenges involved in kind of designing this world? I mean, it, if you were reading the press, you may have heard that recently there was a Manny doll found in different locations ar around the, the country. So, so 
it wasn't always uh, Daniel Radcliffe lying there. You actually did have a, a, a fake version of him to be the dead guy sometimes. Yeah. It, it was it actually more of like an insurance policy. Yeah, like just just in case Dan Radcliffe was like, I'm not lying down for another two hours. I'm going to go sit in my trailer. You know, we, we, di- we didn't know the guy, and we, like, obviously he had every right to not want to lie in the cold dirt for, you know, most of the day. Um, but in the end, he ended he wanted up, to. he wanted to. He's yeah. like, I got to be there. If Paul's going to be in the scene, I'm going to be in the scene. And it, was, it, it really did help, like, it kind of set the tone for everyone. Because if, if Daniel Radcliffe, if Harry Potter is going to lie in the dirt for a couple hours, I can't say shit. Like, nothing I'm doing is going to be, like, even, like, worth complaining about. And so it was, like, a really great uh, thing because it was just so much more fun having him there every, almost every scene. Like, he... Yeah. So anytime it's laying there, it's him. Yeah. That we use the dummies, like, sometimes when we, like, when it looks like someone's dying, like, that might have been a dummy that we threw off a cliff, not Daniel, you know? (laughs) Um, Or like, uh, or, or Paul's back. You know, we, we almost hurt his back on the first day of shooting because he's carrying this—he's carrying this body every single, almost every scene. He's carrying this body, um, and so we, we we built like a lighter version of the body. Um, so he would use—he would, you know, in super wide shots, drag that around and stuff. Right. Because um, when what, that was one of the things we realized when we did the Sundance Directors Lab, we got to like shoot some test scenes, and uh, it was invaluable for myriad reasons. But one of the things we were kind of realized was that we'd been taking for granted how physical this story was. And like, um, it took a real toll on our actors at the labs and all they had to do was like a couple scenes over the course of three weeks. And that wasn't shooting five days a week, all day, every day. So like we went out of our way when we made the movie to kind of schedule it and prepare Paul and Daniel for like, okay, you're going to have to like do these strenuous things this week and like make sure that they're okay with it and ready you know because they they kind of they went on an actual journey you know making this movie but uh, yeah to go to go back a little bit to your question about like what were the technical challenges, challenges i almost I, I feel like our crew joked about how almost everything about this movie was hard there was like nothing easy about it like my rdp was like i have no control over the light at all and you're giving me no equipment, so now we have to, we literally have to shoot a little bit of the scene here, and then like, oh shoot, the sun's gone, let's go shoot this other scene. Okay, the sun's back, let's go shoot the, you know, it's just like things like that where the DP had to craft what was there, and uh, our, we had children, which you're not supposed to have, we had animals, which you're not supposed to do on a low budget movie. We shot on the water. We shot oh, no, on the water, on a boat, which is like the, a disaster usually, and it, it take, it's, uh, everything takes like 10 times longer than you think it shot would. Shot underwater. Shot underwater, <laughs> lit someone on fire. It's just like all the other things you're, you probably shouldn't try to do on a on a small indie budget we like somehow we are we, we were able to like pull enough friends and enough favors into to make it happen um for one of the most unconventional premises of all time so right yeah oh no we, we got we got some hate <laughs> yeah, so for sure when we, yeah, we, we didn't even have that to lean back on like, yeah it's like a solid genre we didn't yeah, have like, don't worry it'll be great it's like no i don't know if it'll be great we're making this crazy thing let's find out if it's going to be great um, but we like like one time this uh, when we were looking for the bear like because we didn't want to do like a CG bear um, a because we couldn't afford it and B it doesn't really look that good even even the Revenant which is an amazing movie the bear looks like a video game almost um, and so we were like let's get either a real bear or animatronic bear or a mix between the two maybe some a guy in a suit something yeah one of so our ideas was to shoot and shoot a real bear but then comp its face onto an animatronic bear that way yeah. we could like the the it could do exactly what we wanted, but we could have a real, you know, like you could see in the eyes and the mouth, like this isn't, you know, uh, and, fake. And so we like sent an email to this random guy in Pennsylvania who has one of the best animatronic bears in the country. And, uh, 
we were like, hey, what do you think? Come on over. This will be fun. Whatever. And yeah. uh, he was like, hundred thousand dollars. And we we're like, can you cut us a deal? Uh, he's like, I read the script. Didn't like the poop stuff. Not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like, I think I'll stick with commercials. <laughs> and then that like, was it. So oh man, it was it was definitely, it wasn't like the easiest thing to convince everyone, but um, but uh, when but it worked out because Tag the Bear did a great job. Yeah. He didn't need CG. He was just real. <laughs> He's the cool little bear. Take that in your Exactly. That's the one thing we have that he doesn't have. Uh, we have time for some questions from the audience. Just stick your hand in the air and, and we can go from there. Yeah. One guy. Hi, um, I was a big fan of your. First yeah. of all, I love hearing you describe things out of context. It's really funny. Because I, I don't know if any of you guys have seen that video. So it's <laughs> a baby, so it's growing up to the beats and it dies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was a it was a pilot that we did for Adult Swim, uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think you kind of like you're describing kind of what what our process is like is like usually an idea either comes from like a very human place, uh, but we're too self conscious to do it like total sincere totally sincerely you know like we're a little too self aware and we want to find a weird angle on it or we have a really silly idea. More often than not, we have a really silly idea, and then. Uh, we we just try to inject some humanity into it because it's going to take so long to make that movie. We want to make sure there's something some value to it. You know, we're like, oh, that'll be so fun, but I want to make sure there's like some heart in there, or else like two months from now, I'll have a finished thing and be like, well, it was fun. You know, like it's funny. Yeah, so I, th I think uh, I think it's those two halves of ourselves. The the one the half of ourselves that wants to be like really uh, you know like rebellious and 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 funky and fun and whatever, um, and then the other half of us who just wants to make something really sweet and sincere. And we just kind of slam those two things together. Um, and uh, we've we've been saying like we've been doing a lot of press today. And like I think one of the reviews I read earlier about our movies labeled it like as a, a neo sincerity. Like like it's almost like post postmodern. Uh, sincerity where it's like uh, we're self-aware of the fact that every story has been told before we're self-aware of the fact that it, it like like watching two people fall in love you know is 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 a story that we've seen every single like in almost every single movie but be, be, uh, like beyond that we still want to feel something we still want to know love and we still want to understand um, beauty despite the fact that deep down we're like these curmudgeons who are like I've you know whatever like romantic comedies or like you know what you know it's so i think i think it's us trying to smash those two th those impulses together and make something that's kind of absurd but at the same time even more honest than if we had just tried to do something completely sincere and it's it's fun that you call that out in particular because that project was written by uh doug lucenhop and uh dan weidenfeld uh and we we came in as the directors and like kind of helped worked on the script a bit and and that specifically was like a scene that was like just kind of a wacky joke about him getting a girl pregnant by giving her his phone number and uh and and it really was us that was like can we work how can we take this somewhere further so we actually explore some themes about fatherhood and not just uh you know, get a girl pregnant with a phone number, and right. so like that because was th that was us injecting sincerity into their thing. Right. I think I think that's our joke, though. We think is the more sincere you go with something that's so stupid, the funnier it is. So it's yeah. like <laughs> hilariously profound. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, 
the first question uh, about crew, absolutely, and and that actually speaks to the second question in that like it, it made it a lot easier I think for us than than some folks to do our first feature because we had like like a a family that we got to drag along and like we all got to like kind of hold hands and be like okay this is gonna be a marathon this is gonna be crazy and hard but like we have a rapport we have like a vocabulary so like um, Larkin Seeple who shot it is he DP'd uh, most most of our stuff he, he shot turned down for what um, Jason Kisvardi the production designer we work with a whole bunch Jonathan Wong our producer is in the top row and he the loser in the back with yeah the white weirdo shirt. look at that guy <laughs> <laughs> so like we had him you know so we we weren't at the mercy of a bunch of feature producers being like first time directors like uh Luckily, we had John as the first-time producer take all that uh, uh, hard, you know, judgmental energy. Um, so, so it was it was so hard and scary, but uh, we're I'm so glad that it took us as long as it did because we got to kind of collect that like little super team. It also allowed um, us to be a lot more ambitious because we knew we understood each other's processes and we were able we were yeah. able to write to that like oh what is Larkin really good at what is Jason really good at let's write to that because we don't have much money and we don't have much time so we better we better like really be smart about what story we're trying to to tell here um, with with our first feature um, and so that was a really great thing to bring into it yeah like I wrote it for them our stunt team is like the same people who've been doing all of our stuff all our music videos and usually it's just like one or two people but like those one or two people came into this movie and brought friends and like all of a sudden we're doing you know really really scary insane things but we have that trust and we don't need to you know spend as much money as you normally would because it, it, it's a, it's like a family ordeal now like everyone everyone involved is just in it to uh to make something special so i think we can squeeze in one more yeah go ahead yeah um so the uh our our lab experience was that we took we we well, took do you guys all know what the sundance lab is mostly yeah okay cool they do or don't what was your question oh yeah i was wondering if they do yeah okay I'm gonna explain it anyway. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, we so we we submitted a finished screenplay, or a full draft. It wasn't finished by any means, uh, and got into the screenwriters lab, which is a week long thing, and then resubmitted a new draft. Got into the directors lab, which is a month long thing. Took those scenes and did a composers lab, where like Dan went and worked with a composer. I went with John Wong to a producer summit. So it was like a series of like four or five. Things right, and, that and we got to, to kind of rewind a little on. bit. It, th th this was Just like wanted to give the outline, yeah, you know, and yeah, now we'll get nitty gritty. Yeah. But take it away, Dan. But I mean, and the, so like Sundance has been doing this thing even before the festival. Like the the labs were actually started because Robert Redford was like, "Oh my God, Hollywood is making nothing but big movies. We need a place safe for like new people, new voices, new people who don't have the resources." Um, I'm gonna start this. I'm gonna buy a random plot of land in the middle of Utah, and and I'm going to uh, I'm gonna send people I think are promising to this place, and it's gonna be a safe place where we just like tear each other apart and build each other back thing, up again. This is not that important, but my favorite <laughs> anecdote is that he he technically already owned the plot of land, oh, yeah, okay. and it was you, it was sort of worthless, and he was like, oh no, like what am I gonna do with this land I bought? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, then, and then he started a workshop. And then he started a film festival, right? Right. Which is kind of like, thank God he bought that shitty land. Yeah, anyway. and so we got we got accepted into the screenwriters lab, which is just five intense days where every single 
day you're just talking to advisors who are like industry professionals uh one person who read our script and talked to us was quentin tarantino which is absolutely insane it was so fun to talk to him about the movie um dan had more fun than me (laughs) i was like so scared (laughs) i was like like, let's not talk about our movie so in kill bill when you shot the fight (laughs) it was like it was like kind of amazing but it's, it's that kind of thing where you you're kind of placed in a, a really safe place with like no cell reception just hanging out with other filmmakers who are trying to develop their voice um and it, the, you're not allowed to write at the screenwriters lab they don't let you write it's all about talking and processing talking and processing and it's like a kind of a marathon um and basically like the the format just to pull back the curtain is like they just uh they sit you down with an advisor for like three hours at a time. And so like each day you'll have two, three hour meetings with someone like super qualified and scary. Uh, and then you're not allowed to write and you just have to think about what they told you and, uh, do it again the next day, and do it again the next day. <laughs> and they contradict each other and they'll, they'll be harsh on you. Like one person will be encouraging and the next one will like rip you a new one. And it's just this like, uh, uh, it's kind of this wonderfully chaotic, like emotional experience where you know it's kind of like what film school should be where like they take your creative project that you've already put yourself into and they like uh make you think about it hard and talk about it real hard and then uh there's no real like prescriptive um logic to it other than like put these two people in a room see what they talk about (laughs) um so we had like highs and lows and and kind of came out of it like with a, a a stronger understanding about what we refused to change and and what like really needed changing you know yeah it's pretty special i hope that answers we could talk about the labs for way too long i hope that answers the question i would love to know at some point what quentin tarantino wanted to do with the, this project <laughs> uh, one one idea he had, he had was like we you guys should put the gilligan theme song somewhere in there you know he's farting away and it's the gilligan theme song I'm like great tarantino <laughs> like, no thank you <laughs> but he had GT other great done. advice he has some really great idea. yeah he's kind of like a no filter kind of guy just any idea just throws it at you it's kind yeah of he also wanted us to shoot on film and we didn't oh, <laughs> take that <laughs> well you guys are a lot of fun to talk to but people should also go see the movie which is yeah. opening this week so yeah, yeah. if you live in new york it seems like you do uh <laughs> it comes out this weekend yeah and right then, on. And then, and then the you can tell all your family like wait one more week yeah because it's everywhere else the next week Bring your friends, bring your grandparents. Lots of old people at Sundance love this movie, so it might, it might be hit, hit in that demographic too. Yeah, like a connection with your grandpa. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, the, or it'll be the last straw. <laughs> <laughs> the last night out. With yeah, your I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> Good well, luck. Thanks for being here. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The Close Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.